Good morning. How are you guys? Are you good? My, of course, as soon as the countdown came down, my app stopped. Up. So I'm rebooting here. So thanks for grace. But you guys had a good week? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Let's stand together. over. Let's go ahead and start it over. There we go. You guys can sit down during the video. <laughs> Thank you. Damn, let's, let's um, give him a praise.
recognize each other through those masks. Give a nice, friendly hello to everyone. A couple weeks ago, we introduced the song Graves to Gardens. You guys remember that? Do you remember that song? Good song. Really good song. We read some scripture on it. And we're going to bring that back again. But boy, I just keep going back to this line in here. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the one who can and the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing and you give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. How many have dealt with shame? Boy, I have. It's rough. It's a hard thing and he turns it to glory. That's something only he can do. How good is God to do that? He's so good to do that. So we're going to sing this song again with you guys this morning. Just praise him. Lord, we ask you to enter this place right now. Father, we welcome you here. We invite you here. And Lord, we didn't come to get something this morning. We came to give you us and our souls and our hearts. Lord, I pray that we can just check everything at the door that we've been worried about that we're upset about, that we're angry about, that we're shameful about. Lord, so many people have so many different stories here, and they're going through a lot. So, Lord, I ask you to meet them where they're at, and more than anything, just give them a sila from that stuff. I pray, Jesus, that we can step into your presence right now, step into your throne room, come before you and give you our greatest offering of our hearts. And I pray, Jesus, that this will be something that you're pleased with because we're giving it all to you. We love you, Lord.
that he can do those things by speaking it. Do you guys have things that seem like it can't get overcome? Like it's too big, you just can't deal with it anymore? He is so big, he can just speak it. He can whisper it. He breathes into us and we come alive. It's pretty remarkable to know that we have a God that's that powerful. So I encourage you to trust him. Believe his word. His word is living and it's in you. And you get to tap into that anytime you want to. You know, there's so many ways to worship. We have so many ways that are available to us. We can pray. We live it every day. We can just talk to him and tell him how good he is. He inhabits our praises. Have you told him how good he is? Even when things are rough, sometimes those are the times, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, those are the times I feel him the most. Even sometimes when he feels distance, distant from me, there's a peace there that I know only he can give to me. He, he's the only one that can give that to me. There's things I've been through with my kids, and it's just rough stuff. And I still felt that peace because he inhabits those praises that we have. So I encourage you guys to, to just really lean into him. We have our, our worship wall back there. You guys can go, and you can just sit there and tell him how good he is. You can write down how good he is. You can come up here to the altars anytime you want to. This, this place is for him and for you to meet him there. So we're going to continue to worship and tell him how good he is.
Jesus. We come before you this morning and we thank you for being here with us, Lord. We thank you for loving us. Father, thank you for gathering everyone here today. Lord, I pray that you will come into this place now, Lord, even more than you already are. We know that you're here, but we welcome you in. We want you to swirl in and each out of every chair, Jesus. We want you to touch every heart. So, Lord, I pray that you will start moving in our hearts. Turn that soil in there so that when Pastor Matt comes to give us your word, it will bury deep down and root. But, Jesus, we want to see it come and pop up above the ground and grow fruit. So, Lord, we ask you for a special anointing on Pastor Matt this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll surround this place with, with your angels to protect it so that when he opens his sword, that it just penetrates our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we give everything to you. Nothing matters unless you are in it and around it. And Lord, I just pray that you will just sit and just come down and just be with us this morning even more. We love you, Jesus, in your name. kids to railway VBS some other way. I'm just sorry to say. Well, Engineer Cookie, that is a humdinger. What are we going to do now? We can't get kids to VBS here at church. You know what? God's awesome. What we're going to do instead is we're going to actually do it online. Why not? <laughs> so what we're going to end up doing is doing a virtual VBS over the website, our website, wlcchurch.com, and you're going to see in the main bar all the cool videos that the kids are going to get to watch. From there, we're actually going to make packets for them, really cool gifts, goodie bags, where they're going to be able to do the crafts, snacks, and everything from home. So let's check that information out. This is actually going to be Monday, July 27th through July 3rd. Within the packet, you're going to be getting your five different Bible buddies that you'll want to have during the week. And then from there, you're going to go on to the cool snack ideas that you can make at home. And then you're also going to have some really great craft ideas that will be in your packet, along with some games that you guys can play together as a family. So WLC kids, make sure and come get your packets anytime this coming week. Tuesday through Friday at the office, or I'll also have packets available on Sunday, July 26th as well. Feel free to take some for your neighbors, maybe for your cousins, and all have a great time doing VBS online together. See you next time.
It's good to see you all here today. We have some great things that are happening this morning. I'm glad that you're with us. And uh, today I want to start with just uh, recognizing someone in our midst who actually is uh, with us and is becoming uh, a pastor within the Church of the Nazarene. She has her district license. And today we want to celebrate that opportunity that we have to support her and encourage her in the midst of this. And Morgan, I'd like to ask you to come forward with us. You can take your mask off if you, if you come up so they can see who you are. <laughs> and uh, let's give her a hand. Um, this is your second year. No, no first year. Oh, eighth year. This is our eighth year, so you're well on your way. So I want to give this to you from the district. And I, could you just share a little bit with us about what God is speaking to you in your heart? I don't know. I think it is now. Hello. I am the program director at Golden Bell. Um, and uh, this journey of becoming an ordained minister has been longer than I anticipated and much different than I anticipated. Um, but I am so happy to be here um, on your district. This is my first year on your district, and I uh, absolutely love Golden Bell. Um, when I was in college, I kind of felt a shift in my call a little bit towards camping ministry, and I love being able to create opportunities at camp where we can have um, personal encounters with Christ. So, for example, we just finished our last resident camp, um, which unfortunately, because of COVID, only had 19 campers. But we had um, 12 of those campers have some sort of commitment, whether that was a first-time commitment, a recommitment, asking about baptism, or just um, surrendering something at the altar. That's so that's awesome. just so amazing. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Morgan. Here, I'm going to get this to you as you go. Well, it is, it is great to be able to, to see people who are, and young people who are coming and answering the call that God is placing on their life. I'm telling you what, we need to see more and more. I believe last week, I believe his name was Cody, who was with us, and he feels a calling on his life to become a minister. Those are great things and great wins, and so we're thankful for that. Well, I want to uh, just turn, I, I'm just going to go ahead and let's go ahead and pray over our tithes and offerings. And uh, I want to remind you that as you go, I know we're not passing the plates with the virus that's going around and all, um, but I want you to remember that this is a sincere part of our worship. It's a part of our worship to be able to say, you know what, God, I trust you with everything that you have entrusted me Actually, it's all from you, and it's all yours. So today, could we just, as we are preparing, as you go later, uh, to give your tithes and offerings, can we go ahead and just bless that as we are preparing for that in our hearts? Lord, we thank you for this today, for this opportunity to just take time and just step, take a step back and remind ourselves, God, that everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we are, it comes from you. We thank you, God, for the resources that you give us, and we pray, God, that you will take that offering and the tithes that we give, just a small portion of all that you give us, Lord, to further your kingdom to see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you will help us as we lay that down to remember that it is going for the purpose of building your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. 
Amen. Amen. Well, I have just a couple more things. Uh, Lori, where's, where did Lori go? Did she come back in? There you go. Lori, can you come back up here real quick? No. <laughs> so this week, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but number one, wasn't the music great today? And the harmony was beautiful. I, do, I, I love that. And so I have noticed just in Lori as I've been here, I, more than anything else, a heart for Jesus Christ and a heart that loves him and a heart that wants to serve. And more important to me than the best music in the world is someone who has a heart for Jesus in their worship. And so, so I say that today to say simply to each one of you, I am so happy and I want to celebrate this morning that I've brought on Lori as our official worship pastor. She is here with us to lead us in music and lead us in worship to God. Can we give her a hand? Thank you. Well, thank you. Yes, you can go. <laughs> Uh, it's great to have my family with us uh, today. Um, today, August 2nd, 26 years ago, I said, I do to the most wonderful woman in the world. And uh, so I'm thankful for my wife and for our anniversary today. 26 years, man, it seems like it goes like that. And already my oldest daughter is married. Her son-in-law is here. Can, can my girls, can you stand up? Because they've never seen you before. Take off your mask. I'll take the fine. So, um, no, stand up. They, they want to see you. <laughs> stand up, turn around. My oldest daughter, Hannah, and her son-in-law. This is her son-in-law, Jesse. My son-in-law, Jesse. Her husband. So, I'm still trying to figure it out. She just, they just got married in May. And then my middle daughter, Faith, and her boyfriend, Nathan, whose mom is a pastor. She's preaching right now, the Church of the Nazarene in Kozad. And, of course, you know Kennedy. Her birthday, her 16th birthday, was yesterday, by the way. So, uh, I just wanted to take a moment. I'm blessed to have kids who love the Lord. You can be seated and put your mask on so I don't get fined. And <laughs> I, who love the Lord, who are worshiping and serving Him, I'm thankful for my family. I love them. Well, today I want to talk to you about something that we don't often hear about, particularly not in our world. You're not going to hear about it when you watch, you know, C-SPAN or CNN or, or Fox News or whatever else your favorite thing is. You rarely are going to hear this word called humility. Humbleness, being humble before the Lord. And in Micah chapter 6, we, we read about what God truly desires from our hearts. And so today, I just want us to just take a moment, take a step back from wherever you are, and I want you to understand and see how humility will help us take steps to see our world change, to see this community change, to see our city one for Jesus Christ. There was a woman who was sitting in a waiting room for her first appointment with a new dentist, and she noticed his diploma, 
which bore his, first, his full name, not just his first name. And suddenly she remembered when she read that name on the wall, this tall, dark, you know, dark-haired boy that, with the same name that had been in her high school many, many years ago. And she thought to herself, could this be the same guy that I remember from so many years back? She said, I had, she's thinking, I had a crush on this guy. And she just wondered, I don't, I, I don't know if it's the same guy. So she really discarded that thought. Any such thought when she met this balding, gray-haired man with a deeply lined face. He's way too old to have been my classmate, she thought to herself. After he examined her teeth, she thought, maybe I'm going to just ask. Did you happen to attend Morgan Park High School? Yes, he said, I'm a Mustang with pride. He was just gleaming. And she said, well, when did you graduate? 1959, he replied. Why do you ask? And she said, you were in my class. Really, he said. What did you teach? (laughs) Sometimes we can use some humility. Amen? I can anyway. I, I tell you what, the Lord has called us to be humble servants. We're eventually going to get to that portion of scripture, but we're reminded in Philippians 2 that Jesus actually humbled himself to serve you and to serve me. And today, I want you to read with me from Micah chapter 6. It's going to be up here on the screens, but as we read there, it says, what can we bring to the Lord? What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him a thousands of rams and ten thousands of olive, rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Love mercy. Do what is right and walk humbly with your God. What would happen in our community if we truly were a people who did what is right and we loved mercy and we walked humbly with our God? First, let me say, with Paul, that though I am preaching about humility, I'm the first to be well aware of the fact that I have not mastered humility in any way. I can echo the words of Paul when he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. I, I, I want us to just think today that when we come up to people, when we rub shoulders with people, when people see us in our communities, when they are watching us, and trust me, people are watching all the time. Especially if you say, you know what, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. They're going to be watching, scrutinizing, just keeping that little bit of an extra eye on you. Are they going to see people that are doing what is right, even when nobody is looking? Are they going to see people who love mercy and walk humbly? 
There was a situation that was happening with Paul, and Paul was dealing with a group of people in Corinth, and, and he was sharing with them, you know, I, I understand that you have an issue with each other in this church. There are problems that are happening in the church. And he's in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. We read this, this part of the letter. He kind of takes a shift here as he's working with them and encouraging them. And he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Let's think about that for a moment. All of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, and he's talking to this church, this knowledge that you possess, it puffs up. But then he reveals to us what builds up, and that is love. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Does anyone here love God today? Amen. You are known by God. He knows your name. He knows the very number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He knows your name. If food makes my brother stumble, this was an issue. This is what was happening right here in the midst of this place. If food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to do what is right I'm going to do what is merciful, and I'm going to walk humbly in the midst of this situation. If food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. I tell you, I'm thinking as I read this, and... When it comes to this food that is offered, Paul is talking about, you know what? Why are you trying to build yourself up? Why are you trying and so concerned about what you feel like you have to do? Why are you so worried about your wants and what your needs and what needs to... You, I, I want to feed myself the way that I want to be fed. Why are you worried about that? When you have so many who need Jesus and they're young in the Lord and they need his touch. There's a lot of Corinthians who had come out of a pagan background where they had spent their lives worshiping idols. And to the best of my knowledge, the reason that there was controversy here that was happening in Corinthians was over the fact that this meat that was offered to idols, that some people actually believed that demons inhabited the meat that was offered. They believed that if they ate this meat after the demons had entered it, that they would be cleansed of, of those demons that were in their life. And to eat the meat, they were now saying they were inhabited by their gods, their idols, as an act of worship. But some of the more mature believers in Corinth recognized, you know what, an idol is just an idol. It's not God. An idol is just an idol. It's not God. So eating the meat for them, from idols, it, it was no big deal. But so many others still felt in their consciousness that eating the meat was almost like worshiping 
that idol is still. And the Bible says the attitudes of the more mature believers, they wounded the consciousness of the new believers. And Paul's point in writing to them about the whole thing was to say, yes, you're right that these idols aren't God, and there's no God in the meat, but that's not the point. The point is this, is that you have mature believers that are making the younger believers stumble because you want more freedom in your faith. Why in the world would you push them into stumbling? Why would you do that to your brothers? I love what Paul says there in verse 13 of this portion of Scripture in chapter 8. He he says, if food makes my brother stumble, excuse me, uh, he says, if that food makes them stumble, I'll never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. Paul is saying, you know what? I'm going to love my brother and my sister so much that if I have to become vegan to help them get closer to Jesus, I'll do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good steak, and that's a big step for me. But if, it, if what I'm eating gets in the way of people seeing Jesus, why wouldn't I just lay it down? Amen? Paul is saying that he loves his brother so much, he's easily let this go. And then he says in verse 11, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Yeah, you know there's nothing wrong with this meat. You know that there's no demons in there. You know that it's not God within that food. But your brother is still working through these issues. And if that's not enough, he goes on to say, when you sin against them in this way and wound their conscience... He says something that is very powerful to you and I. You sin against Christ. We admire Paul for so many things. We admire him for his theology, his understanding of God. But I love Paul just as much for his love for people. And in our very independent mindsets, it's hard for us to understand a love that would cause you to deny something that's good for the sake of someone else. That's not easy. You can see this love throughout his writings. Probably the most powerful statement he makes is in Romans chapter 9, where he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And he's saying basically this. He's saying, you know what? If I had to go to hell so that I could see all of the brothers and sisters, all these people in this town of Woodland Park of Teller County, then I would do it. Now, I look at that, and I read that, and I think, man, that's impossible. I mean, I care for people, but I can't imagine ever making a statement like that. Can he really mean this? But he starts the passage very clearly, and he says, I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He anticipates that he's going to believe him, that that real, that extreme love that he has, it is the truth. I'm going to ask you, as we look at 
Paul and we see his heart for the lost, the heart for the new Christians, the heart for the ones who were just coming to him, the heart for the ones who were just brand new babes in Christ. I want to ask you, does that describe how you feel about those you love who need Jesus around you? Do you have that same type of heart that is within you that would say, you know what, I would do, I would even cut myself off for the sake of seeing my mother, my father, my children, my grandchildren know to know Jesus Christ. But you can see Paul's passionate love in how he lives. He goes from place to place just trying to win people to the Lord and tell them the good news. He, he just wants people to be saved so badly. So reading this passage really does make sense in the light of the life that he lived. He really believed the words that he spoke. Rick Warren says, we believe those things we actually act upon. And this is exactly what Paul did. I heard a story from uh, Francis Chan, and he shared this story, and he says, I was sitting on a plane when I was going to Africa, and I was sitting next to a guy who he found out later on was a Muslim man, and he said, I started asking him about his beliefs, and, and he was asking me about my life, and I told him how Jesus had changed my life. And he said, you know, I just hope you're not one of those radicals. I used to wait tables, and I'd have these Christian customers just come to me, and I would be waiting their table, and he said, and they would just be preaching at me, telling me how wrong and how bad I was. And Francis Chan said, I was sitting there listening to him share these stories and just praying that God would give me the words to say. He said, we started talking about other things, and he asked me, well, then why are you going to Africa? And I told him, I've been there a few times, Francis told him, he'd been there a few times before and seen all kinds of kids there who were starving and looking through the trash heaps for food, for water, for anything. They had no educations. Their lives were dwindling away. And he said, I told him how... It broke my heart. I started selling things that were mine to raise money. I got my friends to start selling things. The church started giving more to missions. And through all of that, we were able to build schools in Africa and teach the people how to farm and how to do this and how to do that. And he said, I told him, I was going back to see some of that and how things were going. And, and this guy, he said, he just looked with him with these huge eyes and said, that is amazing to me. He said, you know, I prayed that I would meet someone like you. I can't understand the charity of some believers, why they would sacrifice their own stuff for someone they may not even know. And he said, would you tell me more about this? And he said, well, I see in Scripture that I'm supposed to become like Jesus. Jesus had it all, but he didn't see, consider it equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. And as believers, he said, I believe we're supposed to do the same thing. And the Bible says Jesus laid down his life for us. And that was the example for how we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He said, Jesus is why we do what we do. And what I love about this story is, is that when this guy that he was sitting next to saw how we loved, things began to change for him, but we cannot truly love one another until we are humbled before one another. I'm going to ask you today about your passion for the lost. 
When was the last time, church, you wept for the lost? I mean, when was the last time that you actually just allowed the wave to just roll over you and realize that there's 7 billion plus people in this world and they need Jesus? Did you know that in the midst of what's happening in America right now, According to the latest George Barna research project, you can look at it at barna.org, it's under State of the Church of 2020, but it says, and this is as of March, that only one in four Americans are practicing Christians. Only one in four Americans are practicing Christians. And here's what that was defined as. It was defined like this. It was, okay, a practicing Christian was defined as someone who said, I'm a Christian, Number one. Number two, a practicing Christian was someone who says, I go to church at least once a month. And a practicing Christian was also someone who said, uh, I am a member of the local church. And so, one in four. And it revealed that since 1999 to now, there's been over a 20% drop in those who call themselves Christians. But there's been over a 20% increase for those who say, I don't call anything my religion. They call them the religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. I worked as I was beginning to uh, go into ministry back in 1999. I remember I was working at a place and it was called a ski house and we sold all kinds of repelling equipment and everything else. And I was interning at a church and I was as I was finishing up that degree and doing all types of different things and working not only full-time at the church but working full-time at this job and and there were people there that were struggling with the Lord I mean it was this very dysfunctional place so I began a Bible study and I thought man I'm sure they're going to laugh at me and they're going to say there's no way I want to have anything to do with that Bible study. So I said, but you know what? On Thursday mornings, I asked the boss, could we open this store up early and could we start a Bible study? Yeah. And to my surprise, the very first day that we had Bible study on a Thursday morning, every person that worked there, even the ones who weren't going to be having to work that day, came to that Bible study and we began to to learn about Jesus Christ and I began to pour myself into them and they were like, they had no clue. I mean, one was, one was, you know, living in a lesbian relationship. One was was there and he was a Baptist who was angry at his church and hated his pastor and there was another one who was there who was a young 18-year-old and he was just rebellious in all different ways. We had alcohol alcoholic there and in the midst of it all they began to just break down to this gospel that they were loved by God and so as I began to share Jesus love for them they began to open up to me and they said hey we're having a Halloween party over at the house and it's going to be kind of crazy there but would you come and be there with us we just want you to be with us they never invited me to anything else before they knew what I you know I was in school and on my way to becoming a pastor and so forth and and uh, I said sure we'll be there and there were people who said to me as I told them what we were doing why would you do that why would you go and hang out with them, you know what's going to be going on there, don't you? Oh, yeah, I, 
I was very aware. And, and not only that, but, you know, uh, this lady and, and her, her lover, uh, you know, that were, that were two ladies together, it was going to be in their home. And, well, you can't do that. Well, just watch me. And I went in. And while I was there, one of the guys who was struggling with alcoholism came up to me and he said, I want to tell you, Matt, I've been falling in love with Jesus. And he shared his whole past with me. His father was a pastor, but they had this awful relationship and he had run from the Lord and they didn't want to have anything to do with God. He hated his father. He didn't want to have anything to do with his family. And he said, but Matt, he said, what I'm seeing and what you're sharing about, I want that in my life too. Next thing I know, we're praying together and, and he's, he's asking the Lord into his heart. In the middle of a Halloween party where I'm telling you it was anything but Christian, <laughs> but God was at work. God was at work. And so it, it, that goes on and this, that happened. He, we left and we left the party early. We, we just, but, but we were there and that happened. I, just was, I was just on fire. I was like, I couldn't believe what was happening. And, and next thing I know, here this guy, he had, he had found himself in jail. I mean, I was like, where is he at? He's in jail. I went to visit him. I took him a Bible. He later on in a few months got out. He didn't come back to work. He, he called me years later, and he called me this day, and he said, Matt, he said, remember me? And he told me his name, and I said, yeah. He said, I'm down in Alabama now, and he said, and I'm loving life. I'm married to a good Christian woman, and he said, but you know what changed things for me? He said, you were the only one, <clears throat> you were the only one who visited me in jail. And he said, you gave me a Bible and he said, and it changed my life. And he said, and I completely turned around. Not only did I give God my life, he said, but I turned my life around. And one week later, folks, after he called me on the phone, he was dead. He had died in an accident. And I want to tell you folks that I, I had to humble myself. I, I, I was like, man, I, these people are messy. These people are hard to deal with. These people, I, it's, this is not easy. But guess what? It's worth it because today I know he's in heaven and I'm going to see him face to face when I see Jesus Christ. If we're not here for that, then just go home because I'm telling you, that's what the church is supposed to be about. But I had to humble myself. And there were people that were brothers and sisters in Christ who were like, you're not. That's a, Matt, that's the dumbest thing. You know, people are going to judge you. Let them judge me. But I'm going to be partying in heaven with people who know Jesus. When was the last time, church, you wept for the lost? Oh, it takes a humble heart. It takes that heart, like Francis Chan was saying, of the Jesus Christ that humbled himself and became a servant to you and to me, even humbling himself to dying a death on the cross. And it seems that we can so easily get 
caught up in knowing more and knowing more and getting more. And we have all this Christian music. We have all of these different resources. We have so many things. But I'm telling you what, with all the resources that we have today, more than ever in Christian history, I can go pick up my phone and I can be a, have an app and a podcast for all kinds of different preachers that are really good and all of this. And, but guess what? For all of that, we are declining. And it's because we have decided, you know, for some reason in our hearts, we felt like we, we don't need to humble ourselves and get our hands dirty anymore when's the last time you wept for the lost you see what paul was saying to this church is you know what i know you know a lot of things i know you know a lot of stuff but here's the thing love is better than knowledge let me just say that again. Love is better than knowledge. Somehow we're supposed to embody God's love. As a matter of fact, we are told in 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Powerful, powerful words. Somehow, we're supposed to embody God's love. John says, you know what? No one here has ever seen God. No one ever here has ever seen him. But, but if we love one another, God's abiding in us and people can see him. And as Christ embodied God in the flesh, we are now going that incarnation of God and people are going to see God. But if we would love each other the way that God calls us to, if we would begin to love and have his love in us the way that he's called us to do, and guess what? Things will begin to change in our community with the people we're rubbing shoulders with. And I want to ask you today, do people get glimpses of God when they see you and when they rub shoulders with you? Or do they just see a lot of knowledge? <laughs> At the beginning of this passage, Paul, he's, he's concerning food offered to idols. Paul says, we know that we all possess knowledge. And he's referring to their attitude about the knowledge they have, but he calls them out on it, and he says this, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Paul isn't saying that having knowledge is bad. He's saying that, you know what, here's the issue, is the issue is uh, the attitude of the people. Everyone knows there's no such thing as idols, that, are, that idols are not God, but it's the attitude that is the issue. Their attitude is prideful and not loving. And Paul affirms that these more mature believers are right. We, we all know this. We all understand that. There is only one God. But he goes on to say that not everyone has that knowledge yet. Some people aren't there yet, which is why their consciousness are still pricked by eating food that's offered to idols. And Paul says to the mature believers, be mindful of where your brother and sister is. Don't be puffed up with a lot of knowledge of the truth. John MacArthur once said regarding this, he said this in regards to this passage, he said, knowledge is essential, but knowledge is not sufficient. Knowledge is important, but it is not enough. It's one thing to know God, and, and it's an entire th different thing to have a relationship of love with God. Just because I tell you today that I love my wife, we've been married 26 years, what if I told you, you know what, I love Jackie, we had such a great marriage, it's so good, I've read 300 books about her. I mean, I have a whole set of commentaries on Jackie. And we, I can tell you about she. I can tell you how she feels. I can tell you all these great things about her. But, but I 
I've never talked to her in 26 years. I've never asked to know who she loves. I've, I've never shared with her that I want to know her heart. I've never looked into her eyes and just sat in awe of her. I've never talked to her about what breaks her heart. I, I, I've read everything about her. I can tell you her favorite color. Is that a relationship? Absolutely not. Look, for some crazy reason, I have, I have four degrees and I would drop them all to fall in love with Jesus. I don't care. They, they mean nothing compared to love in my Lord. Amen? I used to desire to be the Bible answer man. I remember when I went to my first pastorate and I thought, oh, I've got to know everything. Oh, people have a way of humbling you too. <laughs> and, and you can just laugh. And, and so, we, we, but in the midst of all that, oh, I got to know, I got to have all the answers. And one of my professors told me, he said, as you're continuing on your education and, you know, you get to your bachelor's and then you go on to your master of arts and your MDiv and to your doctorate, he said, here's what happens is you slowly, slowly, slowly narrow your focus until you get your doctorate and you realize you know absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> and I thought, what an amazing comment from one of my professors, but what he's saying is this, is the more you begin to learn and know about God, the more you know that he knows everything and you don't. How great and how big our God is. Paul says, you know what, and that's why he tells us in chapter 13, uh, this most famous passage, if I have prophetic powers, if I have understanding and all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith to remove mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. Knowledge is important, church, but it is not enough because knowledge without love amounts to nothing. We have all the resources we could ever want in the world, but I'm telling you, if we don't use it to love the people, then we're going to die. It's like being a great basketball player, never missing a shot, never missed a shot but you always shoot at the wrong basket. <laughs> you're not building up the team, you're killing the team. Paul is saying here, look, you're so brilliant, but you're killing the team. You're not building up the brothers and sisters, you're making them feel dumb. You're wounding their consciences. You're, you're not stirring them up to love and good deeds. He goes on to say, by your knowledge, this weak person is being destroyed. Johnny Erickson Tata, one of my heroes. Uh, I don't know her personally, but I'm amazed by her testimony. She's been a paraplegic for over 40 years, and now she started some amazing ministries. And a while back, she was going through issues, and, and she had breast cancer. And she said she got a letter, and this letter said to her, if you really had loved God, you would never have been a paraplegic to begin with. And then she said that it went on to share that, you know, if you really had faith in God, you wouldn't have to be dealing with this issue of breast cancer. And she said, you know what? It hurt. It kind of stung. It was, it, was, it was not something that she enjoyed reading. But she said, but as she began to pray over that letter, 
that the love of God began to wash over her. And here she is going through chemotherapy, and she began, and she can't use her hands, she has to use her mouth, and she began to write letters to people, including this individual who wrote this letter to her, writing from her mouth, literally to paper, encouraging words. And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I mean, I get the flu, and I'm thinking, all I can think about is me. And she has cancer going through chemo and she's loving people who are even treating her poorly that's humility church that's being humbled and allowing the love of god just to wash over you it's not self-degradation because putting yourself down is still all about you it's not about deflecting the glory to god humility is about thinking of others considering others more important than yourself. And when I read about Johnny, I thought, God, make me like that. I want your unoffendable heart. I want to be focused on eternity. I want to focus on building up those who are discouraged because the Bible says that's what love does. But when talking about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12, Paul says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God didn't gift you for you gifted us for us. And that verse 2 of chapter 8, Paul says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I, this is after he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I think, what does that tell you? Well, Paul says that if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And he's explaining the power of this love and and when you don't just understand truths about him, but you actually love him, that's when he knows you. It has everything to do with love because it's all about true relationship. It's hard to believe that right now in heaven there's a sovereign being sitting on his throne and the angels are covering themselves and crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the God who dwells, our God who dwells in unapproachable light, he's sitting there, and yet if somebody could enter his gates right now and say, God Almighty, God Almighty, do you know Tim? Do you know, do you know Jerry? Do you know Julie? Do you know, do you know Leroy? Do you know, do you know Harry? Do you know, he would say, I know them. I know him. I know her. God would look down and he'd say, yeah, you know, Jim, I love him. Jim is my son. I love him. I know him, the creator of everything, the almighty one. He knows me despite all of my junk that is in my life. God sent his son Jesus to pay for it all. God listens to our prayers. He listens to the desires of our heart. He knows me. Jeremiah 9.29, it tells us there, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You see, here's the thing, love makes us like Jesus. And when we look at our lives, and I... I, I I want, I want to ask, and I have to ask myself, is God's love changing me in such a way that I am beginning to look like Jesus? And I was thinking of the most loving thing 
that I could leave you all with today, something that would encourage you based on my love for you and a knowledge that I'll see most of you, I believe, a hundred years from now, regardless of if you're you know, a few years from meeting the Lord or many years from meeting him. You see, many of us have been studying Christ for many years, and you've been studying the life of Christ and the statements of Christ, and you've been thinking hard about Christ, but does your life look like Christ? Can you say with Paul, will you imitate me as I imitate Christ? Based on the way you are living, do people want to imitate your love for others? A lot of people can talk. A lot of people have knowledge. And in Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Do you look like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Do you love like Jesus? You and I might know so much about the Bible, maybe about Christian dogma, but in the end of the day, do our actions make people say, being with you, being with you, is like being, like it must have been to be with Jesus. Isn't that supposed to be the goal of all this knowledge we have of him? That we become more like him. And as I thought of all of this, I prayed, Lord, that's what I want. I don't want to be the best speaker in the world. That doesn't matter. I don't want to be the most intelligent person in the world. That doesn't matter. That's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known for someone saying, wow, he's a lot like Jesus. And that's what I want for you, church. Because as we begin to take this town for him, it's going to mean that we've got to get messy. We've got to get dirty. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care where you and what you're after, but I'm after this town. I want people to come know, to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm after your children. I'm after your grandchildren. I'm after your parents and your grandparents who don't know him. And I want to see this church make a difference. For Jesus. I'm telling you what, if we're not doing that, then let's just call it the Elks Club. Amen. So you know what? If you fire me today, <laughs> it's all right. I'm still going after Jesus. And I'm still going after people's hearts. Do you hear me? Here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to work myself out of a job. I want to see your kids, your grandkids, take it on and move forward with Jesus Christ as their lead because, folks, it can happen. If he used 12 uneducated men 2,000 years ago, he can use you and me. So I am unapologetic in this. I am following him in the prospect of knowing that this town is going to know him. That's what we're about, church. That's what we're about. But first, for me, I had to be humbled. My very first church in a little town called Goodland, Colorado, Goodland it was near on the Colorado line, Goodland, Kansas. 18 people there when I went, hired on by the district. Mac, this is your first church, and it's here for your project. You need to fix this church because this church is dying, and it's not going to make it much longer. Okay, 
<laughs> so we step in, and we pull up in our sight unseen. I just knew God wanted me to be there. So sight unseen, I drove up to the parsonage, and I said, Jackie, I said, I, I hope that of all these houses I'm looking at in this road, at least that one's not our house. And sure enough, this pink house with asbestos siding that was falling off, that was the parsonage. <laughs> $18,000 a year, uh, and you get the parsonage too, and, and here you go, and we go in, and there's literally four inches of sewer in the basement. First step in, just whew, welcome to Goodland. I thought to myself, oh Lord, what have we done? I hugged Jackie, and I said, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. I said, I'll try to get us out of here as soon as possible. <laughs> I just felt so bad. I felt like a failure. And all right off the bats. And, and, uh, and then God began speaking to my heart. Oh, this is no failing situation, Matt. I brought you here, and things are going to change. Well, the church, they were discouraged. They were upset. They thought, you know, we're, they, they knew they were dying. They were all over 65, and there's nothing wrong with being over 65. But I, okay, yes, please don't start throwing darts. Um, but here's the thing was, they, they had, they, they'd lost their children weren't coming to the church. Their grandchildren weren't coming to the church. Nobody, their friends weren't coming to the church. Oh, how, what are we going to do, pastor? I don't know how we're going to change this thing. And so they had me come in, this guy fresh off the street, fresh out of school. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I, but I had one thing, and I loved these people. And God said, you've got to fall in love with these people. And they were a motley crew. But I'm telling you what, I fell in love with them. I fell in love with them. And when I fell in love with them, then I began to fall in love with that city. And the next thing I know, I'm walking. I'm literally, I'm just trying to drum up people to come to the church. I'm walking through the streets of Goodland. And I get to this one part of town I'd never been to before. And it was this really run-down part of town. And I walk up to a trailer. And right there, I met a lady. Her name was Dominga. And Dominga let me in. And I began to talk to her about the Lord. And she says, I have kids and I have a son. And I was going to tell you, it's just a long story. But here's the thing. Dominga happened to be the matriarch of the Hispanic community of that town. And she happened to love me for some reason. As crazy as that is. And, and I fell in love with her. And, and she was a grandmother, just loved her family and her kids. And she said, you know what? We've got to turn this thing around. And she began coming to our church. And she began bringing her kids. And her son, Noel, said to me one day, he said, I'm calling me up. And he says, Father. And I said, I'm not Father. I'm just Pastor. Okay, Father, here's what I want to ask you. He said, I want Jesus in my heart. And I said, well, ask him in your heart. You don't need me to do it for you. You need to, need to do it. I, he said, I'm at the top of the grain elevator. It's where he worked. And he said, I get off at five. I said, Well, do you want me to come up there? I'll come up there. No, you're not allowed to come up here. He said, Meet me at my house. I went to his house, and it was a house that literally could have fit on this stage. I mean, his house was that small. And I walked into the, the living room area, expecting to see Noel and to pray with him and to accept the Lord Jesus into his life. And I walk in, and there's this whole room full of people. I mean, just full, all the way around the walls. And there was 12 people in there. And I said, well, so I began to share what it means to ask Jesus into your heart and what it means to have a saving, loving relationship with him. And he said, I said, are you ready, Noel? And he said, yeah. And he looked around at everybody else in the room and he said to them, he said, are you guys ready? And they all stood up and they held hands. And I stood in the middle of them. They're holding hands. And I led them in a prayer to ask Jesus and accept him into their heart. Twelve people one day in a church that was dying. 
And I'm telling you, they came in, and we went from this little tiny church. We quadrupled. We were over 65 averaging. We had near 100. You just thought it was the best thing ever. And it was in that town because we were making a difference for Jesus Christ. Those people, they did not know. I mean, they didn't have all, didn't fathom all of the eschatological you know, realities that were happening around them. But here's what they knew. They knew that Jesus loved them. And I'm telling you what, there's nothing else I need to know except Jesus loves me. Do you remember a song like that, maybe? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, just like me, but he is strong. I'm telling you folks, if we're going to turn this city around, if we're going to see things change, if we're going to see things happen around us, we need to be humbled in the awe of who Jesus is and the power that he holds in his hands. Amen? Today, I just want to ask you if you would just stand with me. There's a song, and it may not apply to any of you today but I'm going to tell you it applies to me. And this song is Lord, I Need You. It's by Chris Tomlin, and for whoever is back there working the the sound booth or the media, it's at the end of all of those slides. I don't know about you, but I need more Jesus. Lord, I Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. You guys sound good. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep. Grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free this holiness it's Christ in me together Lord I need Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh, God, how I need you
salvation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Why? Because Jesus, you're my hope and stay. My hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Are we in this together? Are you with me? I mean, even if you don't like me, could you at least support me in this, that we're going to win this town? Amen? Like us to change the words a little bit as we sing one last chorus. Lord, we need you because we're in this together. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense, our righteousness, oh, God, how we need you. Oh, God, how we need you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want you. Lord, when the music stops and when we leave this building, when we're in the midst of situations and places, God, that only you know Lord, we need you. And we know that this town and this community needs you. And so right now, I'm asking, Lord, for you to deliver this town. Deliver this town to Woodland Life Center, this church of the Nazarene. Lord, we can't do it without you. But we just are crazy and foolish enough to believe that we can do everything we need with you. In Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Amen. I want you to know that you are dismissed in the grace and the love of God. May his face shine upon you. May his grace be strong in and through you. And may you go in peace this day. You are dismissed.
Capture my heart again. 